In this podcast, we celebrate all things related to the variously compiled world of pop. We will also consider the wider world of pop culture and how our favourite compilation albums shaped our lives and now fondly stand as time capsules for our musical journeys. Please follow the podcast on your favourite podcast place and there's plenty more with me, Ian, on the Pop Rambler Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Johnny California, welcome back to Now. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. It's nice to have you here. In the mid-90s, Johnny left his high-flying job in advertising to work behind the counter of his local Virgin Megastore. Five years later, he scored the second best job of his life, back catalogue singles buyer, at Virgin's flagship store on Oxford Street. In 2003, he was hired as a runner on the Steve Wright in the Afternoon Show on BBC Radio 2 and was soon working across a whole range of programmes on Radio 2 and a variety of projects, finishing up as producer of Dave Pierce's Dance Years show in 2012. After a five-year break that he puts down to a midlife crisis, he returned to radio production in 2018 as co-producer on the newly relaunched Sounds of the 80s with Gary Davis, replacing Sarah Cox in the presenting chair. Since November, he is now the sole producer on the show. So, Sounds of the 80s on Radio 2, that's got to be fun. It's incredible fun because... It comes from a place of being an actual fan, you know, growing up in the 80s myself, having continued to be a huge fan of of, of the 80s um, ever since. It's absolutely my passion. And to have the opportunity to kind of curate uh, with Gary a show on a weekly basis and, and you know, put out stuff that sometimes is, uh, you know, long forgotten as well. Um, I just absolutely relish it every week. Not saying it's not stressful, but it's a really good kind of stress sometimes. You know, it's uh, it's like oh, which which song from Janet Jackson's Control are we going to put in this time? You know, and decisions like that. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I suppose you know the great thing is it's a fantastic mix of genres. I suppose it really is a curation. Yeah, I mean, and, and we do try to cover as many bases as we can on on each show. So we're going from kind of rock to indie to hip hop to dance to your straight up pop, your soul. You know, there's so many, as you say, there were so many genres mixing up and, and so many genres that began in the 80s, you know, house music, the beginnings of indie that really took off massively in the 90s, I think. So, so there was a lot to get your teeth into. And when you were a kid like I was during the 80s, it was near enough. All of it was just pop anyway, because it was in the chart. For me, there wasn't a lot of snobbishness when I was when I was growing up. I just liked what I like. And so I, I try and reflect that in the show now in that everything is fair game. It's a show as well that actually works, I think, on two levels because it serves as a great time capsule for those of us that were there. But because the 80s is so loved by people anyway, I think it also serves as a great introduction for listeners. Yeah, uh, we've kind of recently started, um, Gary and I coined the phrase from that Wham! song, um, If You Were There, 
if you were there, you'd know. And if you weren't, pay attention. You know, you're about to learn something or you're you're about to get excited about something that you didn't realize you were going to get excited about. So we always try and make it an education through entertainment. I suppose that's what the BBC is all about. Working with Gary has been brilliant. He really is. He's been quite an inspiration and like an unexpected inspiration because I obviously know him from growing up, being on the telly and being on the radio. His outlook is it's is one of real positivity and inclusivity, and and he's always been quite inspiring to me. He's been a bit of an inspiration, so I feel very happy to be working with him from a childhood perspective, but also on a kind of professional level. It's actually a great partnership going on at the moment, so it's really nice. I think you're right, though. It's a very positive show. We do get a lot of love from listeners. Gary also gets a lot of love specifically because he's almost like he's an anchor really he just he takes them back so it's not just playing music from the 80s but it's the guy that was playing music in the 80s for you is now playing music from the 80s now and just bringing back all of those memories on different levels so it's not just the music it's the whole what was the radio one experience the radio one roadshow all of that side of things so we do get a lot you know we get a lot of love and and particularly during lockdown as well but the listeners help you through that as well because you feel like you're connecting with people you know and that's what they feel from their end but that's what we also feel when we're making the show and we're interacting with them when they send in emails or, or text messages or whatever I mean certainly for me it's the highlight of my week and uh, and Gary says the same and so many listeners say the same so we're all in the same boat <laughs> It's funny because I've listened to a few of your guests before me who who uh, I think pretty much all of them have said oh, there was always music in the house or, or something along those lines. Not the case with me at all. Um, there really wasn't music in the house for me before I was able to provide that music myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> my mum and dad not particularly interested in music at all. So where I got the bug was from my uncle who was my dad's sister's husband. And he worked for CBS Records. Whenever I have a conversation about how I got into music and I got the bug, so to speak, I was born at the end of 72. So I would have been, say, about five, six or seven when he would start bringing albums to us, just stuff that he'd picked up at work, mainly ABBA. So he would bring back these albums. So I remember... Very early on, my first kind of pop musical memories would be something like the Arrival al- album by ABBA. Then also Super Trooper by ABBA was a huge one. I remember that. So it was very much ABBA with the beginning for me, which was prophetic in many ways. But th- that's what really got me into pop. And I always remember being like in around 77 or 78 when I was still really young, I was like maybe five years old, and music on the radio and nursery rhymes and everything were all kind of the same thing. But then as I got older, it kind of, like just, you know, kind of six or seven, right up to 1980, it then began to separate for me. And I began to understand that there was this whole pop music thing going on. I also, when I was really, really young, and I probably think this is this is the case with a, a lot of people, I always used to think when I was in the car and the radio was on, that every song that was performed or played was actually performed live as if they were kind of like stage left is, you know, ABBA with the... <laughs> 
<laughs> whatever. What's the song? Mamma Mia, say. And I imagine I, in my head, they were in the in the radio, not actually physically tiny little people in the radio, but they were broadcasting from a theatre. And every single song that was played on the radio was a performance. That's how that that that's one of my very earliest memories of kind of listening to radio. But it was my uncle who really gave me that bug to um, to start exploring music for myself. And it all kind of began right at the beginning of the alphabet with ABBA. So what about buying records then? When, when did you start that? Over the next couple of years, I started um, kind of asking for records or just being given like different ones. So it, a lot of the my early indoctrination into record buying was stuff that was thrown at me. <laughs> I've got a few here, which is not very good for an audio podcast, but stuff that ended up in my collection just inadvertently, but did influence me. So I've got, you know, early compilation albums like Headline Hits. I've got Chart Wars. May the hits, May be, the with hits you. be with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hungry for Hits. All of these, I was, I was getting these from my uncle. The first album I actually then requested from my uncle, you know, I'm still like only around 10 years old at this point, was Bucks Fizz, Are You Ready? <laughs> See a pattern here. Well, but, uh, you've also gone from A to B. <laughs> I have, yes. Oh, well, you know, this is what happens when you end up being a, a backcat buyer at Virgin, you know, it's, the seeds were sown at an early age. <laughs> But but the first record that I bought was singles. So they would have been around 83. I remember it very clearly. It was um, two singles. It was Karma Chameleon, Culture Club, which is C. Yes. <laughs> doing my head in. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. The other one was Dolce, uh, La Dolce Vita by Ryan Paris. So I still have both of those singles, obviously. I did uh, eventually, uh, when I was working at Virgin, uh, in the mid to late 90s, uh, Culture Club got back together to do their kind of reunion album. And they did a PA at the Virgin Megastore on, in Oxford Street. And I got them all to sign this very, the very first single that I ever bought. I'm still the happiest man in the world just for having that. I kind of picture in my head, the 80s were a little bit like a slingshot. 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, you're pulling this slingshot back. And then kind of around Christmas 84 into the early 85, you let go and I just run amok. 84 was quite a big year for me singles wise, but albums, I think the first album that I actually bought wasn't until maybe, I think it was, was it? Like a Virgin by Madonna. It was late 84. I might correct myself later on that. After Christmas 84 and into early 85, it all went completely berserk. It, it wasn't just a case of buying the records and watching Top of the Pops. It was, I started buying Smash Hits very early on in 85. Um, it was the Frankie Over Italy cover. And it had the lyrics to Material Girl, which I was, because I was a massive, massive Madonna fan and it was the perfect time to be one. I remember buying it from a motorway service station. I think we were on the way to Margate or somewhere like that, which would have been lovely and sunny in February of 1985. <laughs> but uh, I had no idea why we were going to Margate. I think my brother also at that same point bought his first issue of 2000 AD. And our respective 
fandoms in a way were born in that motorway service station you know from then on it was every single issue of smash hits for me and for him it was every single issue of 2000 ad and then it just it just exploded what can i say pop fandom doesn't really creep up you don't really come across people who say yeah i quite like pop music and i I can have you know i can take or leave it and and i think you know when you're that age and if if you were lucky enough as we were to be you know that early early teens when pop really was at its shiniest and brightest in the 80s you couldn't really help but grab hold of it properly could you that's well that's true that's true but then i'm always surprised by uh, you know when i meet somebody who who c- can take it or leave it because mm. for me there is no other way and for you there is no other way no but there are no. people out there for, for whom like pop music is uh, what it's becoming in some ways now kind of background and well i mean now it's like just given away for free which is just very distressing but um you know uh, so i can't so i can't really imagine not being a pop fan but then other people are not you know my my brother is you know my brother loves music but he's not obsessed with music in the same way that i was though i have to say my brother was absolutely obsessed with duran duran and I'm, I'm just going to show you this because I've got it right here, just co- completely coincidentally. I was going through his, all his old boxes and stuff, and he gave me a whole load of old vinyl that he didn't want, and also some other bits. And there's this entire catalogue of every Duran Duran yeah. cover, interview, we've got a bit of Arcadia there, yeah. got a little poster magazine. Like, he was obsessed with them. Absolutely yeah. massive. And I didn't realise how much he was obsessed with them until very, very recently. He's not uh, he's not kind of clung on to that side of things. You know, some people do and some people don't. And for some people like us, music is everything. And that's the way I like it. So you've <laughs> talked about compilation albums there being, you know, kind of introducing themselves through your uncle. How important then were compilations for the kind of springboard into the pop world the first well not the first compilation obviously that i got but one that really really fired up my imagination was hits so i got this in like the end of 84 and it was a glorious album because it came right at the as i say like end of 84 into 85 was when i really got the bug and so this was perfect for that you know, it had prints on it, it had Wham on it. All the artists actually that I'd been listening to that year and they were all in one place. And so it kind of crystallized that. Whereas the, the Hungry for Hits and the Headline Hits, yeah, I, I listened to them a lot, but I didn't really attach myself to them in the same way that I attached myself to hits. So funnily enough, out of those, if you're talking about hits versus now, hits was the first one for me. Hits one and hits two were the first one of those double hitters or, or whatever you want to call them. As I say, it was end of 84, start of 85. I'm still getting these things for free. <laughs> and, and now I was buying smash hits. So yeah. these two albums have a very special place in my heart. Just opening them up to that gatefold. Oh, just it's, it's lovely. It's lovely. I, know, right? I mean, the colour scheme of pink, blue and yellow it couldn't be any more 1985. It's just perfect. <laughs> the argument pretty much stands that Hits 1 is probably a better album than Now 4. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I remember a friend of mine, a school friend, had Now 4. Yeah, it, it, I was never tempted to buy it. 
The first Now that I bought was Now 5, which was on cassette. It was just before we were going to go on a road trip, my mum and dad and my brother, to Spain. And uh, so we bought Now 5 on tape, myself and my brother. I remember we were in the... I, I can't remember what it was. It might have been Woolies, uh, along with other stuff. It really was the soundtrack to that entire journey. We did stop off in Paris on the way back. And, and I seem to remember that for the whole of our little holiday in, in Spain that we had, we were planning to reenact the A View to a Kill video <laughs> on, on the Eiffel Tower. So I think there's probably somewhere photos of me and my brother with like gun poses on the Eiffel Tower somewhere. So that is quite a special album to me and 85 quite a special year to me. But as I say, it just it just kept escalating from then. It just it, there was no way back really after eighty five. If you were already a pop fan by eighty five, the decade did just keep on going. I like your slingshot analogy. That everything was winding up, and then it just took off. Yeah, absolutely. It was a great time to be a pop fan, to be honest. But I but I'm guessing that everybody will say that about the period in their life where they were a teenager discovering music and uh, discovering life, really. But it was just, I mean, for me, it was brilliant. But then if you speak to somebody who's, you know, five years older than me, then 1980 to 1984 were brilliant. We had the Human League. We had like the start of the Eurythmics. We had so many amazing kind of new romantic bands being born. It's undeniable that that was a, a fantastic time for music and for, for pop and for British pop. But part of my heart will, well, most of my heart will always be kind of around the mid 80s. And this is where the memories were made, I suppose. Now, eight. Starring Duran Duran, Swing Out Sister, and Amio. From the communards. 32 top chart hits on the ultimate double album and cassette. Now that's what I call music eight. So where were you then, Johnny? Autumn 86. What, what was life all about? I was at school. I was 13 going on 14. I was at a, an all-boys Catholic school called St. Ignatius College. And I'm not even Catholic, so um, don't even ask how I got there. One of my pop-related memories of that run-up to Christmas is the 12-inch version of Madonna's Open Your Heart. My dad, most days, used to actually drive me to school, give me a lift to school, whereas I got the bus home via Enfield Town HMV. I remember my dad being driven crazy by the fact that I had this 10 and a half minute mix of Madonna that I was playing in the car on the way to school. And, and I knew every part of, and he was going, has this finished yet? Has this finished yet? So that's actually one of my most enduring memories of autumn up to Christmas 86. And I remember waiting for that advert to appear in Smash Hits for open your heart but uh, but talking about looking for ads and waiting for ads to appear the now eight advert and the now adverts generally were always the ones that and, yes. and you've spoken about this before they're always the ones that you would kind of really look forward to arriving in you know a particular issue just to find out what was on it 
to find out what the design was at, by this point. And the design for Now 8 is, for me, is just glorious. It's so nice. And I think when we first started um, kind of uh, discussing which one, which now we were going to talk about, that we were talking about the chrome kind of badge that's on the front. This is meant to be a car, right? Am I right thinking it's meant to be a car? I've, I've never actually known what it's supposed to be. I mean, it's just a lovely, shiny, metallic pop world that exists <laughs> in my head. I mean, I know certainly the later nows were, you know, there was kind of physical, you know, like the swimming pool on now 12, they obviously had to photograph those balls. It's lovely. Yes. And they must live somewhere, those balls. Somebody must now, have them. Now 12 is my favourite, favourite now design, I have yeah. to say. But musically, now now I, I prefer. Going back to that advert thing, a world in 1986 where you didn't know what was going to be on an album. You didn't know what was going to be the cover until you saw it in Smash Hits. And it was a double page spread. So Fair Play, EMI, Virgin, and also Polygram now who've come on board. Yes, that's the first Polygram one, isn't it? Yes. This one. Really paying for a double page full colour spread in Smash Hits. Here's the other, here's the other thing here. In the same issue was the advert for Hits 5, which I had forgotten how rotten this advert is. It's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, it's really, uh, it's a, it's just one page to start with. Yep. I actually quite liked the Hits 5 design. I do like it on the album. I don't mind it. This advert, in the same issue as Smash Hits, when you compare, you're instantly thinking, okay, which one do I want to buy? And it's, it's definitely now eight. But again, you know, at this point, I was still getting the Hits albums for free. So, so it didn't matter. So I just got the Hits album anyway. But now eight, I did actually go out, out and buy. This was the fourth now that I bought. It had become a thing by this point for me. You know, you had to have everyone. So yeah, now now definitely wins on that front, on the design front by a country mile. I mean, do you know? We'll see at this point. Now and hits have to coexist in the eighties because there's there is a kind of yin and yang element to it. Anyway, yeah, we'll come back to that. Now he released twenty fourth of November nineteen eighty six. It was actually it was only the second now numbered now of 1986 but it was actually the fifth now release of the year because there'd been the summer album in July and then there'd been now seven in August now dance in October but interestingly there'd also been the first or well there'd been a strange now CD came out called now CD 86 oh yes and later on this was the first well, the first proper Now CD. There'd been Now 4 in 1984, but this was the first real attempt at the Now CD run. It was the first one where Polygram joined the team. Uh, yeah. Number one for six weeks. Hits 5 had been released a couple of weeks earlier and had already had a run at number one. They obviously, at this point, knew that they were going to get thrashed. Yeah. So they thought, let's just get ours out early. So on to Now 8 then. A good place to start is record one, side one. <laughs> Hell, why not? Why not? Can I lump the first two together? Because those two bands were my two favourite bands of 1986. Uh, and particularly the Pet Shop Boys, I was massively obsessed with. Though I didn't buy Please for some reason, mm. but I did buy Disco and I bought all the singles in, you know, kind of those first four singles. But I do remember this kind of top two at the top of record one being quite significant because... 
they were literally like my favorite bands of that year. So it was a great start for me. And Suburbia is, is genuine, it's my favorite single off that first album and is certainly, I think, in the top five of my all-time Pet Shop Boys songs. With Duran Duran Notorious, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because record one, side one, Duran Duran, who had been the biggest band in the world, but this was kind of a miss a, a misfire for them, would you say, chart wine? Oh, it's it's a fascinating period. It wasn't the same giddy heights that they'd been at. However, musically and visually, it is by far Duran Duran at their finest. I absolutely agree with you. Notorious is by by far my favourite Duran Duran album. Yeah. Rio, I think, is a close second, and then actually Big Thing. <laughs> but chart-wise, it felt like they were expecting it to do better, and hence they put it right at the top of the album. <laughs> I think the thing is, from an EMI Virgin point of view, you've got the Duran Duran comeback. This was never going to go anywhere else in this album. True, but uh, unfortunately fate had something else in mind and yeah and actually when i look at it i just as an opener it doesn't work for me as an opener i no. would maybe slide the communards up to the top even though it was a bit of an old single but that's more of an opener for me but you're right it was musically that album was fantastic and it always reminds me of that winter but uh yeah it's not the strongest start to a now album but it's interesting pairing those two together because actually you've got Duran Duran starting to shift away, whereas you've got the Pet Shop Boys on full pelt imperial phase. Here we go. Absolutely so right, yeah. There's an interesting crossover here. So kind of 86 again, you've got this this shift. And actually on side one as well, you've got Swing Out Sister, which is looking towards this later part of the 80s. Yeah. Great debut single, fantastic performance, Corrine Drury on there. So you're starting to see this new guard coming through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with the Swing Out Sister, I mean, that whole, actually, that whole side one, all eight of these tracks, I, I still love to this day. It was what now did well. It was that well-sequenced, big hits. A lot of these songs were still very much in, in the chart at the time as well. And it, it flows really nicely. You've got Communards on there, biggest single of the year. Steve Winwood, again, fantastic comeback. With yeah, great, love. great little tune. Uh, OMD as well, again, kind of swam in and out of the 80s at different different times. But this, yeah. this was a big hit for them after a relatively fallow 85 um, back they'd had the song in Pretty and Pink though as well which had been a big hit yes which had been a kind of bigger US hit it's a, yeah it's a strong record one side one yeah I think so I mean Notorious I think I kind of I, I probably would have had the entire album by that point anyway Suburbia the single even though I had it already in the little gatefold that was the that was the record that really pushed me over the edge with the pitch. It's just a perfect pop record for me, and uh, with all the sound effects, and it kind of informed where they were going because then you had like a similar kind of bombastic sound yeah. when "It's a Sin" came along, and then "Always on My Mind." So it it did take them up a level. Yeah. It's like made them uber pop. <laughs> where should we go? Where should we go next? Um, okay, so we'll flip over record one side two which would ah. be classed the dance side. 
the dance side always like <laughs> even with hits they did that didn't they this is another near perfect side for me i'll give you a tenor if you can spot which one i would delete boris gardner boris gardner absolutely he yeah, that guy is he needs to go first of all old because there'd already been a follow-up to that and secondly just a live song they've also got quite an old janet jackson track there considering you know she's had nasty and when i think of you by this point so when i look at record one side two first of all i'd say dump boris and then i think to myself i mean i absolutely adore what have you done for me lately and it it, it doesn't it doesn't not sit well in there but you know you could have put when i think of you in there quite easily it's hard because every track on control is brilliant oh. it's, it's just just such a fabulous album this is actually another side because 86 was for me a brilliant year for albums i mean we we've talked already about disco we've talked about notorious and we're now talking about Control. I actually pulled out a whole bunch of albums that still mean so much to me that are from 1986. Um, for example, Scoundrel Days by Aha, Parade by Prince, Madonna's True Blue, Silk and Steel by Five Star. We can come back to that. <laughs> and uh, and even Wham's Final, which were, and that whole kind of, you know, when they split up, that whole event. So I think it was a really big year for albums. But anyway, we digress, sorry. I digress. <laughs> you were right on point. I digress. Sometimes the best conversations are rambles. And uh, if you've listened to any of the previous podcasts, you'll know that. But yes, sorry. Um, where were we? Jackie Graham. I was in the middle of major fandom of, of, of Jackie Graham at this point. Not albums, again. She was a consistent hit maker, wasn't she? Yeah. But I think, I think she was... An artist who sold singles, but not so much on the albums. So, but um, I loved her and I, I still love her, actually. I, I remember um, I used to DJ at a club called Carpet Burn in, um, in uh, Vauxhall. And we occasionally had PAs there. It was the Eagle in Vauxhall. It's basically a, a large bar with a dance floor. We had Pete Burns there. We had Limal. We had Denise from Five Star. And we had Jackie Graham who was incredible. And I couldn't stop smiling through the whole PA, which was probably about five songs. She was the most wonderful person and she just exudes joy. She still has that, a great, a fantastically strong voice as yeah. well, which just makes it all, it's like she's recreating the singles right in front of you. So it's just joyous. And she is very 1986, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that sound is very 1986, which kind of informs a lot of the others, like Jermaine Stewart and Mel and Kim, kind of that, that kind of pop soul kind of yeah. sound of 86. And this is a very 1986 side. Even the Human League, by this point, this was then working with Jam and Lewis in America. Um, this was an American number one later on in the year as well. It's a very polished R&B pop sound from Cameo all the way through. Another one that sticks out for me on this side, which is uh, Grace Jones, who I absolutely adore Grace Jones. The first single of hers that I bought was in 85. It was Slave to the Rhythm. And I, I remember Pull Up to the Bumper being reissued and liking it, though I didn't buy it. Having this on here reignited my interest in her. My actual love of Grace Jones didn't kind of come about until the early 90s when I was, um, it was my first Pride event that I, I was attending and it was, it would have been 93. And I was in a bar in Soho Square called The Edge. 
and they had a jukebox and I heard this track come on and it sounded very contemporary. It sounded mm. like soul to solely that shuffly beat and I had no idea what it was, but it turns out it was Le'Veon Rose. Yeah. And when I heard that track in on that jukebox in that bar that day, it just brought everything back from the 80s that I'd forgotten about her. And I then kind of went into a kind of a deep dive with all her kind of albums and singles through the 90s, patiently awaiting for a new album, which <laughs> took forever. But this this track, even though it wasn't it wasn't a hit, but but I, I absolutely adore it. I know that sometimes you like to uh, you like to get us to replace tracks. I obviously want to get rid of Boris and I've thought about this. <laughs> there is one track that should be in there instead of Boris and it's it's on Now Dance 86 actually and it's Love Can't Turn Around which yeah. I think would be glorious. Uh, maybe around track number three, like shift everything down and put Love Can't Turn Around, Farley Jack Master Funk right towards the top of side two and it would just make so much more sense. I mean, another one's Gwen Guthrie because I know Gwen Guthrie pops up at, almost at the end of side four of this, but yes. nothing going on but the rent is just flawless. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, would not would not have gone amiss there. Those two tracks that we've said, actually, Gwen and, and Farley. Farley. <laughs> Farley, is, Farley, as I like to call him. Farley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would certainly not be out of place on uh, record one, side two of now eight. We would also now be looking back, if, if that had been the case, and said, how revolutionary we're now to have house music on now eight. Yeah, because it, it would have been, wouldn't it? It would have yeah. been the first one, really. You see, they missed the trick there, I'm afraid. That was a huge record. <laughs> Record two, side one. This is an interesting side. Yes. It's, it's... <laughs> These next two sides are a little bit kind of half and half, aren't they? Yeah. Um, maybe record two, side two, not so bad. But this one, I think this is the weakest side of the of the four sides because I would definitely boot off at least two of these. <laughs> just two <laughs> just just two i think there's definitely two on here and they're back to back as well which would make me probably get up and flip over to the next side my first copy of noe was cassette to be honest i spent most of my time fast forwarding from side three to side four i think i probably gave peter gabriel and kate bush a listen first and then, <laughs> was, it, was that it for you? And then, <laughs> and then it. it was probably fast forward to keep to, to Kim Wilde. Wilde. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, we're talking about albums earlier. So was huge. Sledgehammer had been massive, both sides of the Atlantic. And, um, Kate, and Kate Bush was huge by this point as well. Again, wasn't she? Because she'd had that whole run of singles from Hounds of Love, and yep. then she had the whole story around here, didn't she? 86? Interestingly, she didn't pull this track onto the whole story, actually, which now would have been the case. So it's um, not the whole story, is it? It's not, oh, not by a long shot. But that's another <laughs> That's another podcast, Johnny, <laughs> to be honest. So, big track, very visual, you can think of that video. Of, yeah, it's definitely my favourite Peter Gabriel track, which is it probably is for a lot of people. That, for me, is an absolutely flawless record. And then we moved to the house, Martins. So they yeah. had a big hit 
in the summer with happy hour and again in the in the sleeve notes charted at number 47 and progressed nicely to reach number 18 uh, i don't mind the track though no yeah i mean at I, I, this point i haven't fast forwarded though it's funny because I, I guess it this was just before they released caravan and love so I'm guessing they didn't want to put Caravan of Love on here because it was probably just a little bit too soon. But that's kind of a shame because I think Caravan of Love would have worked wonders on here. If you go back to the charts of 86, now had scooped up Boris Gardner, um, <laughs> Cominards and later Nick Berry. So they were all on here as number ones. Yes, number ones, yeah. The last, the last four number ones of the year, so you've got Take My Breath Away by Berlin, Final yeah. Countdown, Caravan of Love and Reap Petite, they all made it onto now nine. But oh. actually, if you look at this side here, I think there's an argument for Berlin. There's definitely a, an argument for Berlin, though Berlin were CBS. So and I know ah, they, yeah. they should really have been on hits five. So what else can we say about record two side one? It's a bit dour, except for like li- little Huey Lewis who kind of appears with a nice little jaunty number in the middle. I love Madness and I actually I do love that song. I do really like in the army now but it does become a side of tolerance as opposed to enjoyment (laughs) (laughs) earlier on you said that there were two tracks that sat together that you would get rid of i think we're getting closer to them (laughs) we are getting closer to them yeah give a guess as to which two they would be i'm gonna i'm gonna plumb for track six and seven (laughs) which would be big country and Billy Bragg. Yeah, bang on with both of those. I mean, there's there are masses and masses of Scottish '80s bands that were that were brilliant or and or unique and or had a sound that was kind of that made them help them stand out from everyone else. You know, you could go to the Associates, you could go to Deacon Blue, you could go to um, even like, you know, the lesser known uh, artists like Love and Money and, and, oh, and yes. artists like that. And even Simple Minds who, you know, who were, I think, I'm not the biggest Simple Minds fan, but I have a lot of respect for them. But Big Country, I'm so sorry to any Big Country fans out there, but I'd definitely get rid of that body. No. <laughs> and I would definitely get rid of Billy Bragg because he also leaves me cold, I'm sorry. This this is interesting, this track. Billy Bragg is a fantastic songwriter. Um, yeah. Has obviously been very influential. I noticed as well that on this track, it also features Johnny Marr and Kirsty McCall. Yes. And you'd think having all three of them in a room, you'd yes. come up with something. There would be something. And again, maybe it's just the way 1986 was. If you look across this album, it just doesn't fit in. Yeah. This, you fast forwarded by this point, haven't you? Like, you fast forwarded way before, but, <laughs> well, but if you hadn't. <laughs> no. And, and to be honest, I would have stopped for Cutting Crew. It's funny that it's right at the end, isn't it? To me, that's the biggest track uh, on that side. I mean, yes, Don't Give Up is huge, but as far as an accessible pop hit is concerned, I think Cutting Crew is the, it kind of just beats it. And it was a big hit. I mean, where, where was it around this time? Let's uh, just have a look and see. It says in here, charted at 74, had sped to number... So I guess it was relatively old. It had been a hit in September, so... And it's a track that you still hear a lot on the radio. And it was released in the States at the very start of 87, and then became, like, I think it was number one over there. So we're getting rid of those two. Yeah, they're gone. 
They had a whole list of songs here. Oh, I'll tell you what I've done. Um, you see, because a lot of the ones that I'm looking at that could potentially replace actually appear on Hits 5. A lot of what you'd maybe want to bring in were now being snapped up. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, stuff like Don't Get Me Wrong by The Pretenders or even something like Paul Simon, You Can Call Me Al or those kind of songs, they were they were snapped up. Even Bruce Hornsby in the range would sit quite comfortably on this side. Yeah, absolutely. For all, Hits 5 is shonky in places. When it's good, Hits 5 is really good. Yes, it is. Yeah. When it's bad, it's, it's, it's Boris Gardner. Let's tidy up now, E, with record okay. two side two. Record two side two couldn't start any better with You Keep Me Hanging On. This album actually contains two of possibly the best 80s cover versions, which is Communards and Kim Wilde. Certainly yeah. from a success and a, and a pop perspective, I just thought she was really, really great pop star. She was up there with five star for me. <laughs> this is a great, perfect moment for Kim Wilde. The video was fantastic. The sound of the record was fantastic. It's urgency, it's excitement. It's just a great cover version. That is, I mean, just inspired that somebody would look at a Supreme song in that way and turn it into this just glorious song. Yeah, I mean, it was her, apparently it was her and Ricky just, they just decided to record it. They just thought, yeah, let's give it a, let's but give it a new lease of life. There's a nice Sounds of the 80s master mix for Kim Wilde waiting. Have you done one yet? <laughs> I did one. We did, did one in, um, in November for her 60th birthday. It was rocking, Ian, <laughs> honestly. I wonder if it's on BBC Sound still. Hold Check on. Check it and see, actually. Yeah, because I now feel terrible that I didn't know it was there. <laughs> and, uh, shocking behaviour. Do your research. That's terrible. <laughs> That's not going to go in the podcast. It bites calling all the heroes. It's it's fine. I actually, I, I don't mind it. And I, I seem to remember liking it at the time. Bless them, you know, just the one hit, really. Um and it's slightly dated now, I feel. Just, I don't think it has aged very well, to be fair. It has its kind of moments. I remember when the whole pandemic hit and we, you know, we were kind of still doing, still making the show, but we were doing it all remotely from home and record, pre-recording links. And then I was putting it all together. And that was one of the opening songs that we used just because it kind of summed up the whole NHS heroes thing. And it was a, it was a kind of a, a coming together track in that way. And I and I don't think I would, if I was DJing an 80s night, I don't think I would play it. I mean, I can't imagine dancing to it. I'm just trying to imagine dancing. There are certain songs that you just can't no, dance to. This well, is one of them. Another song that you can't really dance to that I've tried is Hounds of Love by Kate Bush. It's just absolutely impossible to dance to. <laughs> don't try it at home. No, no, track three is interesting. Oh, okay. Interesting is an interesting word. <laughs> interesting, because track three is Waterloo by Doctor and the Medics with Roy Wood. Now, if you can indulge me for a second, Johnny, I'm going to read the sleeve notes. We spoke about this in the past, but we do love the sleeve notes often in now albums. Roy Wood was number one with The Move, Blackberry Way, and with Wizard, See My Baby Jive and Angel Fingers. Doctor and the Medics were number one with Spirit in the Sky. Waterloo was originally number one with a Eurovision winner for ABBA. So this new version should get to number 45. <laughs> you do the maths. <laughs> <laughs> number 45. Yeah. 
I actually really liked Burn. Yeah. Which is the follow-up to Spirit in the Sky. Yeah. Which got to, I think, number 29 or something like that. I really liked Burn. You can't even get it on Spotify now. You have to actually kind of find it physically somewhere. But um, Waterloo, at the time, again, I was quite happy to listen to it. But now, when I when I listen back to this, it's not one of the best covers of the decade when you've got Kim Wilde at the top. no. There's four cover versions on this side out of eight. But uh, it was a last gasp, wasn't it, at this point, to, to get a hit. They'd already had a hit with a cover. So I guess they were looking to repeat that. Don't ABBA need to give permission if you're going to cover their songs? Or, or was that a thing back back then? Maybe not. Maybe back they just then, maybe not. I mean, because... Um, if they we, had sunk if, by then. Well, if, if, if we fast forward a couple of years, we get to Edelweiss. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, how could I forget? What a song. Um, I would imagine Abba would have to have given some form of permission for that. If you look at all of these little blurbs under the um, under the, under the songs for Now Eight, it's one of the most convoluted. <laughs> yes. It feels slightly like a sales pitch. Yeah. Um, it feels slightly like you're in the record company meeting and they're saying, hey, you guys, yeah. Roy Wood was number one. <laughs> Doctor and the Medic were number one. Waterloo were number one. So, um, so it's 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 really odd. I don't know how often really now did misfire. You know, you've got Grace Jones not making it. You've got Greetings from the New Brunette, which didn't make it. You've got Waterloo, which didn't make it. Yeah, they didn't miss very often, but when they did miss, they usually missed quite big. <laughs> <laughs> and um, right in the middle of a side so you couldn't skip it now something that isn't a miss is the glorious Debbie Harry now this this is I suppose a record of comeback for Debbie Harry as well yeah this track really does take me back to that period of November December 86 it's another one of those tracks that was just not only on the radio all the time on, on, on TV etc but it was I was playing this song to death I would have put it on one of my one of the probably this tape it's probably on this cassette here sho 86 volume 2 which stands for second half of 86 volume 2 brilliant this were these were all the tapes that i used to make it it would have been on here i'm just checking the chart figures for that at the time of this album being released it was a new release so it came out in in november but yeah this got to number 8 again quite a gamble i suppose they must have been really confident with it because as you say, she hadn't really, she hadn't had a, a solo hit really, not certainly not a big solo hit o- over here since Blondie split up. This was her first big hit. So they were kind of taking a chance in putting it on here. It could have gone the other way, but it paid off this time. Robert Palmer. I bought this on single, actually. I loved it so much. I mean, you kind of have these levels of enjoyment of songs or or loving songs. It gets to a point where I just have to have it on 7-inch. But then if I really, really, really like it, I'll buy the 12-inch. So, (laughs) because I want it to go on for, for longer. It took me probably about 25 years to realize it was a cover. I remember being in a bar and there was a, a guy just DJing and he played the Shirelle version and I completely lost my mind because 
And I was like, I mean, I'm literally one of those people who's just aghast, like in a good way, when they hear a song that just ticked all these boxes I didn't know needed ticking. I adore the record anyway. And then I love Jam and Lewis. Yeah. Obviously, I, I didn't love Shirelle enough to, to investigate her entire back catalogue. But when I heard her singing that, it was just it was just a perfect discovery moment for me. Robert Palmer stays. Robert Palmer definitely stays. Does Paul Hardcastle stay? Paul Hardcastle absolutely 100% stays. There's, it's the theme to top of the pop. And, and actually, it's kind of short-changed being down there, I think. I, yeah. think. I think maybe it should have been up towards Kim Wilde. But you know what? Even first, I would even off. have had it first. Because it does, it did kick off every single top of the pop. So why shouldn't it kick off record two, side two? For me, it's the theme because I'm the second half of the eighties when it comes to really strong memories. Let's say kind of like eighty four was really when I was watching top of the pops a lot. Then within a couple of years, it changed to the Wizard as the theme tune, and then it that was the theme for the rest of the decade. So. Uh, that logo also kind of just stayed with me more than the records uh, and the smashing TV screen and thing, yeah. things like that. It's, it's that, but you know, everybody has a, an era of top of the pops that, that they remember best. There's the two halves of the eighties actually are actually seen through those two top of the pops themes. Yeah. Think about it. You've got the slingshot getting pulled back and you've got yellow peril and then you've got the wizards taking yeah. the, rest of the decade and running with it. So actually it works really well. We then get to the last two tracks. We've got Gwen Guthrie first. Now, we spoke about Gwen Guthrie earlier. She is a disco legend. And here she is covering The Carpenters. It's a really bad choice. You know, even from a kind of a, a continuity point of view, Ain't Nothing Going On by, by the way would have been really nice there. And it was the bigger hit. And obviously, you know, I guess in retrospect, you see that, it, you know, it, it is an absolute classic. I do sometimes imagine that they are doing these and then towards the end they get bored. There's an episode in waiting for the podcast, actually. Times when now got bored because <laughs> there's probably quite a lot of those, actually. But what's what's funny about this is that there's so many more of those moments on the hits. Let's come to that in a second. Let's just yeah. finish off with Nick Berry. Um, I've already probably started rewinding my cassette back to Kim Wilde again, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I suppose you have to put it into context here. EastEnders was in its second year. It was the biggest television show in Britain. We're just about to hit the Den and Angie Christmas episode. And actually the BBC had had a a few hits this year already. They've been the Grangehill cast. The Bananita Dobson um, had had her vocal version of the theme tune. There'd also been Letitia Dean and Paul Medford. Yes. Number something 12. Something out of nothing. In, in October, something out of nothing. And then the crowning glory goes to Wixie. Three weeks, this was number one. <laughs> not was it Madonna not? off the top. Oh, it knocked, it was that way around. It knocked Madonna off the top. Knocked Madonna off the top and then was replaced by Berlin. This was to do with Lofty's wedding to Michelle. It was Angry Anderson suddenly two years early, wasn't it? <laughs> it really did pave the way. Uh, <laughs> which uh, didn't really occur to me until that moment when you no, said it. <laughs> no, but actually that's what it was. It was yeah. Angry Anderson. It was just, uh, as you say, it was that, opportunity you know eastenders was an absolutely huge and inevitably there was this uh this kind of spin-off 
I suppose. Now that I think about it, I'm starting to think there was a lot of nonsense in the charts <laughs> around this period that actually did really well. <laughs> That's a perfect seg, Johnny, into Hits 5. That is harsh. It would make a nice one CD collection, which they did actually make a one CD collection of this. Do you know, I've got it. I, I actually have it somewhere. Hits 5 is really interesting because it flows from amazingly big songs of the decade to songs that you just would not recognise in a lineup. It was always hit and miss with hits. Hit six is incredible. And hits four was also really, really strong. Take hits three and hits five, they were not so good. There's a lot of big names on here. Yeah. But a lot of third and fourth single syndromes off albums that they're just not hitting it. You are. I mean, I'm looking at it and you're right. There's massive names, you know, Whitney's on there. George Michael is on there. Cindy Lauper is on there. You see, it's a kind of mirrors now, eh? Cause it starts off with a song that I think people were expecting to be much bigger than it was. Aha coming back with, I've been losing you. So it has that same kind of, we were expecting this to be bigger. So it's at the, it's at the top of the tree. It falls at the third, well, the third hurdle, shall we say. Don Johnson, Heartbeat. Which was massive in the States, though. Yeah, top five, in fact. This is funny, actually, because, you know, like this whole thing of people saying how 1986 is the dullest year in pop, scientifically speaking. I went back because I've been credulous about that statement for, for a good five years. I think it's been five years since it, that paper came out. What I noticed for the first time when I reread the article is that they were talking about the American charts. I can kind of picture that because it was all very soft, rocky around that time for the States. They didn't quite have the same variety that we did. And and admittedly, 1986 isn't the most varied year. If you were to actually single out some of the acts who broke through in 1986, like the Pet Shop Boys. It was the beginning of Stoke and Waterman. House music was slowly beginning to filter its way in. So actually, 86 is a lot to remember fondly. The UK at this point was firing on a lot of cylinders and it was, and it was very evident. Whereas CBS and Warner are having to draw a kind of different type of palette here. And that's what mm-hmm. makes it more patchy. But there are amazing songs on here. Oh, like yeah. Like you said, ones that have really stood the test of time. You kind of go through it and there are there are big moments. You can call me Al, Thorn in My Side, Rain or Shine. I mean, we talk about Five Star. They were a huge, huge band, 86, 87. They were rarely out of the chart in 86. From the time Systematic came along to the end, they, they were there for, for the entirety and they were having massive hits. And the album sold a ton. It was like four times platinum, I think. And then they won Best Group. Going back now and listening like, like I did for this podcast, particularly Silk or Steel, The Luxury of Life, there are tracks across those two albums that later on in 87 wouldn't have sounded out of place on Bad. They wouldn't have sounded out of place on Janet Jackson albums. Um, yeah. and, I, and I don't think they get the credit for the songwriting, for the production, um, as much as they probably should do. Again, it's music snobs, and I don't know whether it's because they are a family, maybe they came across as a bit cheesy, but their run of hits is not to be sniffed at. I mean, going back to Hits 5, the rest of that, actually, Side 1 and Side 2, is not bad. There's gamble tracks on here. I love everything Matt Johnson's done. I love the, the CBS really couldn't 
push it enough because it just it just didn't trouble the charts particularly single wise you mean infected yeah yeah i i actually i adore that record it's so great much. and it was probably because of hits five that i got to know it to be fair oh yeah so, yeah so so sometimes you know there is an argument that you know putting these little tracks on it might inspire you to kind of pursue that artist or or you know kind of chase yeah. up you know what else they've been doing etc yeah so well done hits five for that now eight definitely wins for me it does have a special place in my heart but mainly sides one and two <laughs> i don't think there's anything else to add and hits five i might i might just go away and do like a condensed playlist of hits five and take all the dodgy ones off and i might have a nice little compilation there if you take the two albums together they actually do represent quite a strong time capsule of that time yeah no i i, I agree yeah they they are really strong I, I'd forgotten how much of late 86 was on Now 9. And it's a shame because if some of those had been dragged across to either of these, then it would have made both of these indispensable, I think. But uh, I have a lot of love for 1986 and I won't hear another word against it. Johnny, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast and uh, taking us back to the autumn of 1986. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. It has been so much fun. Johnny, thank you very much. <laughs>